0: So I believe we live in a tension in 2018 where The human condition is loneliness and we're somewhat aware of that And yet the dominant thing that our culture values is autonomy So we're simultaneously aware in our heart that we're lonely both for God and for community and It's implied and stated and even commanded and sung about that the point of being a human is to be able to call your own shots, to have as much control over your life as is possible. And if the human condition is loneliness, and we would say as followers of Jesus that the answer to that loneliness is Jesus, we also say because of the entire text of Scripture— that we do that and we learn to do that in community. And by that, I mean be a human being in light of God's existence and the incarnation and the grace of Jesus that's revealed to us. From Genesis to Revelation, including the pictures we have of the new heavens and the new earth, community is part of the with God life. And community is a group where you and your story are known and valued. Sometimes we're in a group that values us for what we can do, and that's not full picture of community. Sometimes we're in a community where it's it's more like a support group than a a group that accomplishes anything. There's there's a little bit of both in true and good community, and that's not a particularly Christian definition, which I'll come back to later. Just so you wonder how I define it, it's a group where you and your story are known and valued. Do you have a group like that? I hope that you do. I hope that you have close friends. I hope that you have people that know you and your story. Last year, we, we tweaked the men's ministry at the church a little bit, and my very favorite moments of those first Wednesdays together were when men would share a little bit of their story. And we were doing that in light of Bible study, which is often the way we do things around church because we believe the words are true and we learn to live them out amidst not only our daily circumstances, not only our fears about the future, but also with respect to what's happened to us in the past. So I'm preaching a series on vision. What's our vision as a local gathering? What's our role? What is ours to do in light of the good news of Jesus? with and for each other in this area. And what we talked about last week was uh, worship, corporate worship, where we're singing, confessing, praising, lamenting together. I used the word cruciform. An engineer has totally messed up my understanding of the word, but I still kind of like it in the sense that we are people who are formed by the work of Jesus Christ, which when he was on the cross— was accepting the wrath of God that we might be reconciled to him. So we are formed by the cross people. Our worship also needs to be in light of God revealing himself as Trinity, God existing in Trinity, which is why we pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We do that in community. And I think that here at CPC we know that this is important. I don't get a sense that we think community is unimportant. But oftentimes what happens is we do community only through busyness. So we get into a group here, a smaller group than this one right here, but mostly what we do together is be busy. And we have a lot of work to do as a local gathering to make much of God and His grace, to do community, to serve our neighbors as best we can. And yet we need more than that. We need more than busyness together. We need places where our stories are known and valued. I went through this graphic last week in a little bit more detail, but uh, just because we went to the trouble of putting it in the PowerPoint, I'm going to go through it again. That's not why. But the way that I construct vision is, why gather at all? What does the New Testament say about why and who gathers the first day of every week, which is Sunday, the day that we celebrate the resurrection of Christ? Why gather? That was 2014. In 2015, we talked about the best way to gather, clearly, which is Presbyterianly. Do we have that graphic? There we go. The next year, we we discussed the law of God, which is the uh, Ten Commandments was the way that I preached it, and then we discussed love. Because if we're doing any of this, and it's not because of love, and it's not received as love, then we're failing. Each one of these series... Implies community. Each one of these implies that we, and commands and models throughout the story of Scripture that we need one another to learn to do these things, to learn to take the text seriously if you're looking at the law, to learn to corporately worship in a way that honors God and and helps us grow up in the training grace, as Paul said to Titus, of the Lord. And we looked at the things that don't change prayer and the gospel and the Bible all of which are to be done with others. Not only with others, but not alone. And then we look at the things that give us the, the encouragement to have a specific vision. Our locality and our limits. And then we're coming up with a vision. I'm not going to write it myself. The elders are going to write it with me, but um, this is where we get our mission and our vision. And what I, lo- the word I love at some point when we're talking about community is the title of a painting that a woman did for me 2014 when we did the series on Why Gather, and it's called, uh, she called it Asylum. She didn't tell me that. We just met and talked, and she painted this in light of the New Testament teachings on Why Gather. And I love that as a picture of community because we need a refuge. We need a place where our stories are known and valued. And the ways that God told us to do that will look odd to those that are not followers of Jesus, those outside. And so I like the other definition of an asylum, too, because sometimes confessing our sin and simultaneously believing it's entirely atoned for looks a little odd to our neighbors. And that's okay. We live in the tensions that God asked us to live in. And and here's the thing with community that, I, that I'm not sure I get as strongly as I want for a whole bunch of reasons. When I was growing up and had put my faith in Jesus Christ, I was taught about something called a quiet time. Kind of assume you've heard of a quiet time. Maybe you haven't. It's get alone with Jesus for a few minutes in the morning. Maybe read a chapter or two of the Bible. Definitely pray. There's probably coffee or, or tea involved. And a quiet time, I think, is is an important practice. Some of you like to journal. That's a good outlet. But here's the problem with a quiet time. It's just you. And the entire New Testament assumes that there's community that you're working this out with. And a text that's often used to defend something like a quiet time, because of the way that English and almost every other language I know of are different, Doesn't sound like a community text. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, the Apostle Paul, after exalting Christ and using the Christ hymn that the early church probably used to to attempt to understand all that happened in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, after that, says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and fear. And trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Doesn't that sound like the epitome of figure it out on your own? Like go be by yourself and grow up a little bit, right? Work out your own, sal- but the your is plural. If the ESV had been translated in Oklahoma, it would have said work out y'all's Faith with fear and trembling And I'm from Oklahoma I'm not mocking them I do mock them other times I'm not doing so right now I mock us 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 One other Oklahoman in the room And here's the thing about a quiet time It's important And it's good Especially if it's a primary way That you study the scriptures Or feed yourself But you need more than that It's a little, to borrow an analogy from a book Let's say that you have a project at home This is a good tool, Right? Mother-in-law bought me this, got a nice weight to it. But depending on what you're doing, you're almost certainly going to need more than this, right? What's your second tool that you grab if you're working on something in the house? Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking drill, but yeah, screwdriver. Because if you have to attach things together, sometimes it's a nail, right? And sometimes it's a screw. Well, similarly, spending time alone with Jesus is essential. He described it when he talked about prayer. And we desperately need community. I mean, I would, I would love, love, love to grow up by reading articles. And no other way. Not learning any hard lessons of life through pain or suffering. Not learning any hard lessons of life because friends have come alongside me and said, that actually was not very loving. And then I get to say I'm sorry and repent. Maybe you're not like me. Maybe you like learning that way. For me, it's challenging. It can make me, you know, spike a little bit in terms of anxiety. And yet, that's life. We learn in community. Santiago, my neighbor, is so thankful that three years before I came here, I borrowed a friend's lawnmower and returned it to him without cleaning it. And he called me and he said, that's not how we do things in community. And so if I need to improve, we can talk about that later. But I can tell you that if he had not confronted me, I would return the church's weed whip much worse shape than I returned it in. Because that's how we grow. That's how you mature, and that's how I mature, as a follower of God and a lover of God and of neighbor. Where else can sinners, who God now calls daughters and sons, learn to flourish, but in a community that understands that our rough drafts are not the end of the story. You give us a chance for a second and maybe a third and a fourth and a fifth draft. And I don't know if you pick up on body language, but this, is so, this makes me so nervous to preach about because this is the part of the vision that if you do it, will harm you. That's good news, right? Who's encouraged? Yay, let's sing another song. Here's what I'm saying, though. If you find community here, who's it with? A bunch of sinners who God calls saints and sons and daughters, and yet they're going to miss opportunities for love. They're going to disagree with you poorly. They're going to challenge you sometimes without even realizing it. Did you know that there are people that didn't vote like you in this room? I know, right? I just read a study that that's the last form of human bias that's still widely accepted. Maybe because we have some growing up to do. This is the dangerous part of our vision because until Jesus returns, we will continue to hurt one another through sins of omission and commission, to use some older language. And yet, this is where we grow up, is with one another, praying alone and with one another, learning to confess corporately and in relationship. For those of you that are married, when you got married, you probably weren't thinking, I'm so excited about the sanctifying effects of marriage, knowing that in close proximity to another human being, I will grow up in maturity. And yet, there is God's grace revealed to those of us that are married, is that not only is it intimate community, it is probably the most consistent place where we've at least had the opportunity, if not the experience of maturing a little bit. Right? Good job not saying amen and then elbowing anybody (laughs) next to you. And I want this gathering to be one where we experience and model and show the love of Christ to one another individually and in community. And I have lost my temper with so many of you that it is humbling to preach this. Because when we start to do community, it will sting. Because God has, Jesus has not yet come back and purified his bride. We will be in the presence of sin and death until either he returns or we go to be with him. And God left us a gathering to do community with that we might grow up into more mature lovers of him and of neighbor. I heard once that this church is a safe place for tall people. I said something heavy, so then... (laughs) Got to come back to something. And I loved hearing that because there's a, a man who's about 6'4", six, 6'5", six, and he was looking around, and there were like seven people in the room that were significantly taller than him. Sam Abizabe was here that Sunday, so he was certainly the tallest, and then there were a whole bunch of 6'7", 6'8", people. And yet, if you walk around this building thinking, well, there's other people here can relate to me, you'll hit your head. If that's all you're thinking is this is a good and a safe place. Similarly for the rest of us we will do community with one another and it will sting and it is also for our good. Here's what I'm saying. Look around. These are agents of your sanctification and mine. These are men and women who are called to do spiritual family with you and with me. vision of an asylum that loves one another. And our love for one another is not only community where us and our story are known and valued minute for minute or pound for pound, however you want to say it. One of my favorite ministries that we do is called Build and Repair Network. That's part of the way that we love one another. It's not an especially community-driven activity, but it is so that people in our church that need a little extra help around their house get it. It's a really important way that we love one another. I am so thankful for our deacons. That that, uh, office of the church instituted, in my opinion, in Acts chapter 4, where we learn to serve one another, make meals for one another. They would love your help serving with them. But we also have youth ministry. And we understand that one quick, right? We remember junior high. They need men and women that will come alongside them as friends. Help them do the with God life. But we do men's ministry and women's ministry also for the same reason. And here's, <laughs> here's the part of this that, that, well, I've already said a lot of challenging things, I think. Here's another part that's challenging. If you do corporate worship here and you don't find a smaller community here, eventually, to use a phrase that my wife taught me, it'll leak out of your elbows. You know what I mean? Like you come and you show up and you sing the songs and you pray the prayers, and because you're a New Englander, you last two years longer than anybody in another part of the country would. But eventually, the pain in your past, or the challenges of your today, or your fears about the future are going to catch up with you and they're going to overwhelm you emotionally. Right? And you're like, no, never. Good luck with that. In the world, you will have trouble. Jesus said, but I leave you my peace. You see my point? What will happen if you don't find community where your story is known and valued? It will be harder for you to experience the flourishing life that Jesus described because he implied and commanded and modeled friendship with others. In Genesis 1, And two, and all the way through Revelation, community is essential to our flourishing. And you know, all of these points of vision are part of our evangelism, too. Like, some of you are excited about vision because it will clarify how we do evangelism. Everything is part of how we do evangelism. How we worship is part of how we do evangelism. First of all, because there are people visiting with us, very respectfully saying, I'm considering the claims of Christ. And so when your voices rise like they did earlier today, that was a moment of evangelism. As we sang back to our souls what we believe about the love and the peace of Christ and the fact that he trampled death and that that's our hope. The way we do community is also part of our evangelism. Your neighbors notice when and how and why the church shows up for you. And you're like, they've never shown up for me. Yeah, your neighbors have noticed that. And that's not an indictment on the church. But what my, my point is, when we do community well, well, and when we continue to do it well, when we're risking a little bit with our friends that worship similarly to us, we show up for one another as friends. Our, our neighbors notice that. And hopefully what they'll say is, you know, I'm really not sure about those people at CPC. Their music's a little loud for me. But I know they love one another well. I live next to one. And when she got sick, they were always there with meals. And I never knew who was going to mow the lawn that week. And I'm really not sure about Jesus. Did you know they think he's coming back on a white horse? But they loved one another Well. The first year that I was here, actually the first month that I was here, one of our missionaries said to me, uh, I can't remember the first thing that he said, it was because it wasn't as shocking as this, and then he said, something to the effect of the barn has some challenges, but it's a great place to lose your job or get cancer. And I was like, wow, that's really profound. I hoped I would not come to understand the truth of it. But I did. I did. And yet we have some growth. A lot of our community is only busyness together. Where we're not telling one another our stories in light of the gospel. Where we don't know how to know and value one another. I think we can grow in that. Whether it be through small groups where men and women are together. Whether it be through men's and women's ministry, youth ministry, other ways. We need to continue to grow up in this fashion because God says it and implies it, and he modeled it. Why did Jesus spend so much time with so many goofy fellows, one of whom wanted to kill him, who clearly didn't understand what he was saying? Among other reasons, it was to model the importance of community. And every single Y-O-U in the New Testament is actually a plural. I should say in the New Testament letters. That's the one I've checked. Double-checked that on all the New Testament letters, the U is plural. The vision that we're beginning to work out language for is of an asylum who love that's full of people that love one another because of the gospel. So, if community is where your story is known and valued, without the, that kind of community, without the gospel, is supportive. Good for men and women for us to be with men and women that can relate to us, so there 's a support structure if all that 's happening in the community is known and valued, but a community where we know and value one another and have the gospel that 's where we heal that 's how we learn to interpret and heal from the past that 's how we learn the daily strength of Jesus. For our present, that's where we have hope for our future and not fear, is in a community that does community in light of the good news, which is that God loves us, cares for us, has found us, likes us, has forgiven us because of the work of Christ, has called us His own and pursued us in the Holy Spirit. And all that sounds good and has also drawn us together to help one another grow up as lovers of him and neighbor. Because of the gospel and its truth, in community we are healed from our past because of the Holy Spirit's grace and power. In our present life, the things that when you wake up Monday morning, you're not sure you're enough for, in community we're known and equipped for that. And your future makes you nervous. And yet, have you read the book of Revelation? Regardless of how you interpret it, our future is secure. And we celebrate that amongst community. It's good news. Individually, and we celebrate it with one another and thereby believe it more strongly. Perhaps believe it in our bones. In community, we remind one another that Jesus has taken away our shame through his love. In community, our fears are comforted. Our angers are soothed by the Father heart of God, by the love of Christ, by the indwelling and ever-moving Holy Spirit. The vision is of a group of men and women in asylum who love one another because of the gospel of Jesus, which does not fix us and turn us into people that stop sinning, but it does turn us into more and more mature lovers of God and neighbor who know how to forgive one another and move towards one another, conflict and not because of the love of Christ. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we praise you and thank you for calling us your own. For calling us daughters and sons of the true king. For freeing us from guilt and shame. Which you did for your glory and for the good of our neighbors and for our own good. We praise you and thank you, Father, and ask that as we sing about your greatness, you would give us a sense of it that we would believe so strongly that we cannot help but be filled with joy about your greatness and the pursuing love of it. Amen.